innovation happens at the at, at the edges and we are seeing world first we've seen a number of them in the first project that we've done and it is so much fun just watching our road safety people have their jaw hit the floor again that the gleam in their eyes and the the light going on that we can actually do more than we've able been able to do before we can help our clients in ways we've not been able to help them before we can get insights and understanding of how do we make things better um that's that's just really exciting and to me innovation and collaboration and doing work for purpose that's a that's a pretty wonderful triple play Sarah, thanks so much for, for chatting with me on the podcast today. Thank you very much for having me. It's fun. Can you please tell me, uh, basically an introduction, can you tell me uh, your background, your role at GHD uh, and what you're passionate about? Sure. So my name is Sarah Dodds. I look after the advanced analytics and AI team for GHD, the civil engineering company not the hair straightening company, much to the sadness of my daughter. Um, and I look after our activities across the Southern Hemisphere. So GHD is an engineering professional services company. We work across transport, across water, across energy, essentially across the things that build cities and make things better for, for large volumes of humans to come together and provide us what we need for civilization. Awesome. Um, so you were kind of terrified about this next question, given that I work in connected vehicle data. So from, from maybe an outside slash now inside perspective, how would you define connected vehicle data or vehicle generated data for people that maybe aren't so familiar? Uh, and maybe even some examples of the kinds of data that you might get under that category. Sure. So connected vehicle data, let me start with the aversion therapy question first. <laughs> connected vehicle data is anonymized. It is very carefully privacy protected information that comes directly from the SIM card that is in the computer of all newer cars and most freight vehicles. When it's appropriately privacy protected, it gives us a direct insight into how that vehicle is being driven on the road and an observation of the driver behavior as they're on the road. Um, so it can give us the location of the vehicle every few seconds. It gives us the speed that it's traveling at. It gives it information about acceleration, both um, forwards and backwards, side to side, and in fact, also up and down, which can be really useful for looking at how the road surface is responding to the vehicle being over, going over it. I get really excited about it because I'm a scientist at the end of the day. My, my basic training many years ago was in physics. And as I now look after data science teams, I still like going back to the scientific method. And the scientific method starts with an observation. And you then use that observation to ask a question. You then build a hypothesis about why you think you're seeing what you're seeing. You can run some tests around it. You can do some experiments. And then you get some results from that, all based on observations. What connected vehicle data gives us is the observation that enables that entire system of thinking for vehicles as they move around on our roads. There's other forms of data that come from mobile phones in location services. The challenges with those is you don't know what the vehicle is or the mode of transport is that that 
mobile phone is being carried in. Could be a car, could be a fast-moving bike. It's definitely not fast-moving if it's me on a bike. Um, it could be somebody who's running. It could be somebody who's walking. It could be somebody on public transport on a train. Connected vehicle data, because it's coming out of the onboard computer of the vehicle, we know whether it's a car, we know whether it's a heavy goods vehicle or, or a truck, and we know whether it's a commercial delivery van. And that can help us in keeping people safer. It can help in understanding the condition of our roads. It can help in the economic questions about how we're moving freight around the country. Um, and some of the drivers are even around deliveries and how deliveries are being taken out into the suburbs, whether they're single loads, whether they're multiple drop-offs, um, and some productivity questions around that space. But primarily for me, it's about the road infrastructure and the behaviour of the users of that infrastructure and having both sides of that piece. What would you say to people, because one thing that we get a lot is this comparison with Big Brother, which is something you've probably uh, <laughs> come across a number of times. What do you say to people like that who are a little bit maybe nervous? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose the word nervous about this kind of close relationship now between um, data and behaviours. So to me, that comes back to a question of, the purpose of the analysis and the privacy. Um, the way compass data and connected vehicle data in general is structured is we know that there is a car at a time that is doing that that is traveling down a specific road. We don't know whether it's the same car we saw yesterday or last week. We don't know who the driver of the car is. We don't know the registration number of the vehicle. There are no unique identifiers in the system. So there is no way that you're going to get pinged for a, a speeding ticket um, as a result of what's coming out of your vehicle. Um, what it does do, which is enormously helpful, is for-purpose research about how do we improve road safety? How do we actually keep people safer, understand where things might be going slightly amiss on the road, understand where there is potential for a serious accident that maybe we can do something about before it happens. So I think there is a, a public good aspect to it. There is most definitely privacy protection around it. One of the roles that I have had previously was looking to shut down online identity fraud. Uh, learned way more about that world than I ever needed to go. <laughs> Um, and there was a question of consent in the work that we were doing there around essentially the idea behind it was to understand the credentials that people were presenting in a transaction and whether they were the same as the set of credentials they'd used in previous transactions. Essentially, if you're a fraudster, you need to corrupt one communication channel so that you can get the value that you're trying to uh, redirect to come to you as opposed to the owner of that identity. If you're going to use a stolen credit card to drive a red Ferrari, you don't really want that red Ferrari to get delivered to the owner of the credit card. You'd like it to come to you instead. Um, as part of that world, we did a lot of deep understanding around consent and around privacy. And the finding that came out of that world is people are very protective, as they should be, of their data, where they believe it is driving economic gain for somebody else and possibly annoyance for them. So people do not want their data to be scraped in an online transaction that is then used to send them marketing material. 
they really, really, and I really, really don't. It annoys me enormously when I end up on a mailing list and, and then I've got to somehow remove myself from it five times and continue to reappear on it. But if that use of that data is actually to protect me and to stop a fraudster being able to take over my identity, then I'm actually okay with that. The gap is the education piece about do I understand what my data is being used for? Are there safety rails around it? Are there appropriate constraints that I'm not going to intend for it to be used for my own protection and end up with somebody then stealing that data and using it for marketing? I think the same applies to, to um, connected vehicle data. What we're looking to use it for is to make our road safer, to understand how can we improve driver experience on the road. We have some gorgeous conversations with road traffic engineers and transport engineers about what we're actually trying to measure through the very limited amount of data collection we've been able to do on our roads previously. You might have been able to put tubes or ATCs or licorice strips, as some of our friends over in road safety call them, down on the road and then measure what's happening to the traffic in a particular location. Um, a, drivers don't like them because they think they're measuring speed, which they are, but not necessarily for um, speeding ticket purposes. They get damaged. They can't go in a lot of places. And drivers' behaviour is actually changed by the process of making the observation which is kind of like quantum mechanics, which is really cool. Um, <laughs> the act of making the observation changes the things that you're trying to observe. One of the great things about compass data and, and connected vehicle data is it's entirely passive. So it's actually a true unbiased um, measure of what's happening out on our roads, except the bias is to newer vehicles. So I'd almost regard it as a community service that's provided by drivers of newer vehicles that's actually making our roads safer for everyone. That's a good way to put it. I might steal that for our own marketing. <laughs> so you've kind of, I think, kind of covered it a little bit, but what do you see as the potential for connected vehicle data at, at GHD? What, do, what kind of things would it help you do better? Um, so GHD is, is initially looking at connected vehicle data in the road safety space. Across the world, road safety is becoming an increasing problem. We've been working for decades to get the road toll down and in the belief that by adjusting driver behaviour, by adjusting the road infrastructure itself, we can actually get the road toll down and we want to get it to zero. In the last year or two, we've not only plateaued, but the road toll has started rising again. We're not quite sure why. And I think it's enormously powerful, this new insight that the connected vehicle data can provide to understanding what the driven experience is. I get really excited about it because in a normal safety system, you have four levels of things that you're concerned about. You have the fatalities, which nobody wants. You have the accidents, you have incidents, and you have hazards. And the idea is you have about a seven to one ratio between each of those levels, and you try and address things when they're up at the hazard and the incident level before they become accidents and definitely before they um, become a fatality. That's worked really well in industrial plants and we don't have nearly the same occupational health and safety death rate that we had 20 or 30 years ago. When we look to road safety, sadly, yes, we do definitely have fatalities and serious injuries and we kind of have hazards on the road which are potentially subjective, but there hasn't been an objectively observable sense of an incident. One of the things that the Compass data provides is a concept of a near miss. Um, which is essentially a place where a vehicle is 
losing traction with the road surface. Now, whether that's because the road surface is poor or whether that's because the driver's driving too fast or got distracted or a child ran out and they slammed on the brakes, sometimes it may be appropriate. But I get super excited by being able to compare incidents as measured by near misses with accident and fatality data, which, which is reported elsewhere, and not have to wait five years for enough people to die to be able to figure out where the places on our roads where are that we could make things safer. I think at, at GHD, that's one of the things that we're really extraordinarily excited about. And then we can combine that with safety and risk thinking about understanding the exposure risk in that we know where people and particularly pedestrians are moving around on the roads. If we then know where the traffic energy is in the system and where um, cars are moving faster than is safe for the level of pedestrian traffic, we can actually start to do maps of where are your biggest risks in terms of safety in a way that simply hasn't been thought about before. It applies to urban planning. It, how do you design a suburb to have low road safety risk? I think we're going to have a different lens that we can bring to that particular challenge and design safer communities going forward. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, I think as well, the because there's that statistic that if you're an Australian under the age of 25, one of the top most likely ways for you to actually die is through traffic-related incidents. It's like under the age of 15, it's the biggest killer of young Australians and between 15 to 25 or something like that. It's it's like the second biggest killer. So it's like hugely impactful for even just like one section of the population, which is just wild to me. Yeah. Um, I actually grew up in a, a family that, that had, was working professionally in road safety. So my dad was was a safety expert. And we used to have regular discussions about the road toll. And the thing that sent chills down my back, which still does every time I think about it, is we talk about the road toll going up or down versus last year, but they're all dead. It's that many people died last year and this many people died this year and this many people are going to die next year. And it's 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 not a rate thing. If you start adding that up into actual people and community impact, most people know somebody whose lives have been impacted either by a life-changing accident um, or or somebody who they know who's unfortunately not made it through a car accident. And I'd, I'd really like to see that change. When, when you're dealing with connected vehicle data, um, like most data sets, there's always some kind of like bias or limitation. What are some of the limitations or even the challenges that you've seen when trying to leverage connected vehicle data effectively? That's a fantastic question. Um, and it is one that we're approaching from something of an innovation angle. First of all, it's grey data. It's raw, gathered in the field. It is what it is. There'll be glitches in the occasional system. Um, there'll be some data quality issues, as there are with any large data system. And they're just things we can process out um, not not so fussed about those. Um, but when we're looking at the bias in the data, which is to newer vehicles, we do have to think from an ethics and trustworthiness perspective about whether we're falling into one of those spaces where we're going to be making unconsciously biased decisions that advantage drivers of newer cars hmm. um, because they are going to be behaving differently to the drivers of older cars. Many, many places in terms of road safety we, that's not the case. The, the vehicles out on the road all influence each other and vehicles tend to travel, if you like, as a pack. Um, and in fact, the precursor to compass and connected vehicle data was a thing called a floating car, which road safety um, 
experts have been using for a very long time, which is essentially you have one car, you put as many sensors in it as you possibly can, you send it out on the road, you assume it's going to be driving the same way as all the vehicles around it, and then you infer from that one vehicle what everybody else is doing. The Compass data, in, to me, in some ways, is just extending that to a, an entire fleet of connected vehicles that you've got some cars or some vehicles, but you've got them everywhere and all the time. And that's a different statistical lens to the data that we've been able to see before through video cameras and through um, tubes on the road. So we have a regular conversation about, yeah, but it's only the newer cars, it's only a small percentage of the vehicles. And then we come push back with, but when you put tubes out on the road, you only put them out for one week or two weeks of the year. And you're very happy extrapolating a whole year's worth of data <laughs> From one week is 2% of the data for the year, two weeks is 4% of the data, and you're really comfortable with that knowing that that isn't Christmas or Easter and probably isn't even a weekend. So we've been dealing with biased data in this space for a long time. The Compass data is different in terms of the statistical slice it represents, but if you're looking at it as a percentage of a year's worth of data and you've got a full year of Compass data because it's passive and it's it's always there, you've actually probably got about the same sample size as you would get from other metrics. But it is fundamentally different and you are directly observing what drivers are doing on the road as they drive through the length of their trip. Speaking of, of bias, I feel like I need to note for listeners that Sarah is not under duress and she has not been paid any money to mention <laughs> Compass the amount of time she already has. This was not planned. <laughs> I appreciate the mentions, but I felt like, oh, I need to put it a disclaimer here some way halfway through because Compass we mentioned like six or seven times. <laughs> uh, look, I think what you guys have done is, is something quite special in pulling this data together in sufficient volume from enough places that we can do the kind of experiments and get a sense of what vehicles are doing more generally on the road. You couldn't do it with a single manufacturer. Um, and it's it's that data and that observational capacity that I get excited about. Please that you guys have done it. Whoever had done it, I'd be saying the same things about them because from a science perspective, it is just an awesome new insight into what's happening on our roads. Very kind of you. <laughs> so from from it sounds like from your experience with, with dealing with this data and also having ex, uh, experience with other forms of traffic data, what are some of the lessons you've learned from applying connected vehicle data or vehicle-generated data to projects, being that you guys are kind of like a bit of a first mover in this space? It's still a very new tool. Um, some of the lessons we've learned is that it's great for some things and it's not for others. If you want to know what's going on in a huge degree of detail at one location, then probably putting up a video camera or putting tubes down on the road is going to be a better way of doing things. Um, if you want to scan across a broader area and find an optimum or understand what's happening across um, a network of roads, then this is a really good scanning tool for understanding where you might go and look in to, to look at things in more detail. Um, we're learning that we can actually characterize how drivers behave interacting with the roads and we're actually seeing that um, through direct observation. Innovation happens at the, at, at the edges. And for me, one of the exciting things about where GHD is going is that we have road safety experts who deeply understand the domain, understand the questions that matter and what the outcomes are that we're trying to achieve. We've got that as a collaboration then with a bunch of digital people like me who are interested in the world around us, but our expertise is in 
bleeding edge data, doing things for the first time. How do we get the best out of big data systems? And what happens when we put those two together and we start analyzing large volumes of data in a way that from a, from a statistical sample that hasn't been available for before to ask really important questions? We are seeing world first. We've seen a number of them in the first project that we've done. And it is so much fun just watching our road safety people have their jaw hit the floor again. That the gleam in their eyes and the the light going on that we can actually do more than we've able been able to do before. We can help our clients in ways we've not been able to help them before. We can get insights and understanding of how do we make things better. Um, that's that's just really exciting. And to me, innovation and collaboration and doing work for purpose, that's a that's a pretty wonderful triple play. Speaking of innovation, looking to the future, how else might vehicle-generated data change the way we address transport challenges or complex en- engineering problems? So some of the other spaces that we're really interested in all come down to observing drivers on the roads. Behavioural economics or nudge is a really interesting space where it's done in other spaces with far less altruistic motives where you're looking to provide people with an, a, a, a trigger or an impulse and understand how they react to it. So how do we get people not to turn up in offices but to call in on helplines? How do we get them to engage with chatbots instead of calling somebody? How do we be able to help people in um, less intensive ways is, is one of the ways um, that Nudge gets, gets used. Um, the ATO has a fairly public um, nudge win about getting people to actually pay their tax bills. And all they did was after a lot of experimentation, they put a very simple sticker on it saying most people pay this bill within 30 days. <laughs> and that lifted the, the payment rate considerably. So as humans, we are not necessarily logical beings. Um, I've, I've been saying for a long time that sometimes rocket science is the easy stuff and people are much, much harder. But behavioural economics is all about the psychology of how do we get people to do what's actually in their best interest. And I think Compass data and connected vehicle data more generally provides that observable to understand how do we get drivers to slow down through roadworks. I know I've driven through roadworks. The sign's there. There's no worker in sight. I'm super frustrated that I don't actually believe there's anything going wrong. And then three kilometres into the roadwork sign, I suddenly, oh, okay, there is somebody here and now I need to slow down. It's a known problem for road worker safety. How could we actually help understand what drivers respond to? How do we, we know that drivers are getting more distracted on the roads. If we, we now can try a number of different initiatives to see if we can remove those distractions or get drivers to respond to them in different ways, and we can potentially measure how effective those interventions are. Um, that's really cool. So the work we've been doing up until now has been looking back in, into history and, and what's happened up until now. When I look at the value of any data system, there's this wonderful graph that starts with reporting about what happened down at the bottom. And yeah, that has some value. And then the next level up is diagnostics and being able to do the so we know it happened, but do we know why it happened? Do we have the context around that incident? That's got more value because um, then a human can make a decision about what we might do differently. Then it moves up to a current state assessment, which is what's happening right now. 
what decisions could I make based on what I know about what the what the the system is doing? And that could be, for example, disruptions around road network, unexpected road closures. Um, something has happened. There's there's been an accident. Yeah, there's other forms of data that could do it as well. But there are actually some places on our roads where it would be useful to know with a couple of minutes or a half hour delay, um, something that unexpected has happened. And then you start moving into predictive and then prescriptive analytics where we're using the past and the patterns in the past to actually start predicting what's going to happen next. Interesting. I, I have actually, um, when you said the road work thing, I remember, so my brother and I, um, we do some like sport training in the city. And so we're in Sydney, we have to cross the Harbour Bridge and we're normally crossing the Harbour Bridge before 7am because the class starts at 7. Mm-hmm. And they'll often have roadworks that are either set up for later in the day or from later earlier that night. And it's still a 40k zone, but there's nothing on the bridge. And you're just like sitting there with some guy in a ute <laughs> who's trying to get to a work site before 7am in your boot. Like, why are you having to go like 40 kilometers an hour? So <laughs> I understand that's, yeah. that's, yeah, that's there's a challenge. A, th- there's a known problem in Melbourne a couple of years back where they had uh, one of the major bridges over the Yarra had workers working on the underside of it. And they had the roadworks signs up to try and bring the traffic uh, speed down because it was causing so much noise. It was actually almost unbearable for the workers working under the bridge. But nobody could see there were workers under the bridge. And so nobody thought there was actually anything going on and the roadwork signs got fairly widely disregarded. And again, it's an issue where if you understand that people aren't, aren't responding to it, then you can start thinking about why. You can start thinking about how do we try something different and get some pretty short-term feedback on what could be working better. Okay. So we've, we've talked about a lot of stuff today. If if people weren't listening, what would be like your your cliff notes? What would be the key takeaway for listeners out of everything that we've talked about? <laughs> to me, the look the the key the key points around what we've talked about is connected vehicle data. To me, is a way of being able to shift the whole conversation about what's happening on our roads to a data driven objective conversation about what drivers are actually doing. And we've made some inferences and had a bunch of assumptions in that space. And I think we can now move that conversation to a different level. We're still getting our head around what it means to be able to have that direct observation of what's happening out there. But at the end of the day, the value it creates back for the drivers and for our roads and for the rest of the community is how do we make our roads safer? How do we provide a better driver experience? Because we can now see where driver experience is poor, whether that's poor from a safety perspective, whether it's poor from a congestion perspective, whether it's poor even from a a length of travel perspective to need to get to somewhere. That opens up a, a proper digital objective conversation about how do we make the world better by understanding what the current state is and being able to experiment on what what might be possible. Excellent. I think that's a very good note to to end on. Um, but I do have one last question, which is yes. how can people get in touch with you or learn more about you or GHD, not the hair straightening brand, uh, or any of the projects that, that you guys are working on? Uh, if people want to get in touch with me, LinkedIn is possibly the best place to do it. 
if you just send me a note that says you heard Emily's podcast and you'd like to reach out, then I'll know why you're contacting me because um, I do get a bunch of cold calls and people just wanting to connect because of the space we're in. Um, otherwise, if you would like to send an email to sarah.dodds with one D at ghd.com, um, be really happy to hear from you. Perfect. Well, thank you for, for your time today, Sarah, and your your expertise on all of this. It's super interesting conversation to hear from um, someone who's got such experience in the space and dealing with not only like the traffic lens and the innovation lens, but also just like the big data lens as well. It's a really, really exciting place to see data coming in to make a difference. So thank you for having me. If you'd like to learn more about any of the guests that we have on the podcast, more about Bitesize or more about Compass IoT, the company that produces this podcast, you can visit our website, which is www.compassiot.com.au. Until next time.